read uh, from Psalm 78. Uh, Here's what the psalmist writes. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, hidden things from of old. Things we have heard and known. Things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has. Generation would know them. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but keep His commands. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning, shall we? Father, thank You for uh, the truth of the song that we just sang. Lord, that You are our, our cornerstone and that in this world of chaos... In this world of confusion, we can put our trust and faith in you. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have this morning to look into your word, uh, to encourage our hearts with your truth, and also encourage one another. So would you speak to us uh, through your spirit who indwells within us, and we uh, look forward with expectant hearts to what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now that we're live streaming... I go back and uh, make sure I don't wear the same outfit two Sundays in a row. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to vary that up a little bit. And uh, so hopefully that won't happen. All right. Feels good. Thank you, Nick. Uh, conquering the land. You remember that God gave a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that through Abraham, the whole world would be blessed. And that fulfillment promise came through the person of Jesus Christ. But he also gave a promise to Abraham that he would give them the land, a piece of land. That piece of land is where Israel sits today. And uh, we've looked at uh, the book of Joshua is all about conquering the land. Now, 40 years earlier, when God wanted them to go in and conquer the land, they did it because they were fearful. And so a whole generation dies off in the wilderness. Now Moses is dead. Joshua is the new leader. And last week we looked at uh, the nation of Israel on the the verge of the Jordan River. And God works a miracle and he cuts off the waters. And the nation of Israel, two million strong, passes on dry ground. And now they finally arrive and set foot into the promised land that God had promised them hundreds of years ago. Well, this morning we're going to look at uh, Joshua chapter 4. And a message entitled, Declaring God's Truth to the Next Generation, from Joshua chapter 4. It was back in 1967, then Governor Ronald Reagan gave a speech. He made this statement about freedom. He says, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Thank God for our our military and our troops that help protect our freedoms. But that statement is true. It's one generation away from extinction. And so uh, we need to guard and stand for those principles of freedom that God has blessed us with. But that same statement could be said about Christianity as well. That Christianity is one generation away from extinction. That's why Joshua chapter 4 is such a key, important chapter in the Bible. Because it talks about the passage of truth from one generation to the next generation. That's something the nation of Israel failed to do. But God wanted them to be that, that banner of truth for them. 
and to pass God's truth to the next generations. As we read through the the Old Testament, specifically when we get into the uh, book of Judges, we read some of the saddest verses in all the Bible in Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. It says, "The, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Verse 10, after that, a whole generation had, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So the scriptures tell us that Joshua's generation followed God. Joshua's generation that saw the, the, the miracle of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan River, and, and they followed God. But when Joshua died, and that generation had kind of lived with Joshua, the next generation did not follow God. And Judges chapter 2, verse 10 says that uh, they did not know the Lord, nor they did not know what God had done for Israel. And so Joshua chapter 4 is a significant passage because our task, and we read it in our scripture reading this morning from Psalm 78 verse 4, is to tell the next generation, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, we are to tell them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. That's, That's our task. Is to, to pass that on to the next generation. And we're going to talk about that in, in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. Uh, we're going to talk about passing God's truth to the next generation. And how vitally important that is. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 4. And uh, here's the context. Verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. So they're, they're across the Jordan. Two million people. Or more, cross that river on dry ground. So now they've set foot in in Canaan. They've set foot in the promised land. And uh, it says, the Lord said to Joshua. Sometimes when we read that in the Bible, we need to pause and ask the question, um, how did God communicate this to Joshua? Uh, Was this an audible voice that God spoke to Joshua? Or did God somehow communicate this message in some other way? And um, I'm not sure because the, the Bible doesn't specifically say. Um, I'm reading this as God might have spoken audibly to Joshua. Uh, that's what the text says. The Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Verses 8 and 9. This is the the plan. Uh, So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, it's interesting in some of the translations, uh, when you read through this story, 
and commentators have kind of argued about this because of the wording of it. Uh, some say there were actually two sets of 12 stones, one that was set up in the middle of the Jordan River, uh, one that was set up when they got across the Jordan River. I, I think there was probably just one memorial. Uh, and, and, and these 12 priests, one representing each, each tribe, uh, took up a stone, and it was probably a large stone. It talks about putting them on their shoulder, and they carry it across the Jordan River from the, the middle of the river, and they take it to the place where they're going to stay that night. And the place, we'll find out, is a place called Gilgal. Gilgal. So let's look at, at the place. And this is described in beginning in verse 14. Gilgal, located about 8 to 10 miles west of the Jordan River. So they carried these uh, large stones quite, quite a distance. It says, That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran as flood stage, uh, at flood stage as before. So here's uh, the retelling of the story, the retelling of the miracle. And just as, as soon as that priest put his first foot in the water of the Jordan, the water stopped. As soon as they took that covenant, Ark of the Covenant, out of the Jordan River, God reversed that miracle. And the waters returned as they previously had been. Now notice verse 19. A significant verse that says, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. That's a specific date, the tenth day of the first month. If you remember the book of Exodus and you remember the story of the Passover, 40 years earlier, God told the nation of Israel that on the tenth day of the first month, they were to take a lamb. Not just any lamb, uh, not just a crippled lamb, but a perfect spotless lamb. And they were to take care of that lamb for four days. And then on the fourth day, the 14th day of the month, they were to offer it as a sacrifice. And on that very first Passover, take the blood of that Passover lamb and put it on the doorposts. And that's what uh, protected them from the death angel that was the final plague of the ten plagues. So uh, this is a significant date. Here they are on the 40th anniversary of the very first Passover. Now they set foot in the promised land. Well, let's look at uh, the purpose of all this. And this is really the, the heart of what we want to talk about this morning. The plan is to take 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan River, carry them to a place called Gilgal. And we're going to see next Sunday that Gilgal was a significant place uh, Four key things happen in, in Gilgal in the next chapter. But they kind of camped at Gilgal, and they set up that memorial. And now we're going to think about the purpose of that memorial, and it's threefold. It's right in the text. Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Here's the first purpose of that, that memorial of stones. To tell future generations the story of the Jordan River crossing. So they were to set up that memorial as a 
reminder to tell the, the future generations about what God did at that spot by the Jordan River. Let's look at it beginning in verse 5. Uh, Joshua tells the men to take these stones, and he says, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what's this pile of stones about? What do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan River was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. That's repeated again later on in the text. So the very first purpose, why God instructed the priests to each take a stone and to build this memorial and carry it to Gilgal and set it up as a memorial was so that the future generations would know what God did in the crossing of the Jordan River. God wanted a visible, tangible memorial reminder for future generations. Back to Psalm 78, 4. To declare the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders. And so that was the first purpose, to communicate this great story of what God had done to the next generations. Secondly, there's a second uh, dairy purpose, and uh, let's, let's look at it. Uh, secondly, the purpose of that memorial was so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is powerful. Uh, the end of the chapter, uh, Joshua 4.24, God did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. So this is a message not only for future generations to tell them what God did at this spot, but this is also a message for the entire world, for all nations to know the hand of the Lord, Yahweh, is powerful. And that's exactly what happened because if you go down to chapter 5, verse 1, which uh, probably should be the conclusion of chapter 4, when they made up the chapter divisions, uh, God's word is inspired. The chapter divisions are not. It really fits with the end of chapter 4. It says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So when this story began to spread uh, throughout the land of Canaan, uh, throughout uh, the the area that Israel needed to conquer, and remember there's there's 30 cities in in Canaan that eventually they're going to have to fight and conquer, it says that their hearts were fearful because they heard about how powerful The God of the Israelites, Yahweh, is. And so the second purpose is so that the whole world would know that Yahweh, the God of Israel, our God, is a powerful God. Jeremiah 32, 17. 
Jeremiah writes, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And so uh, God is uh, omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And that was the second purpose for the crossing of the Jordan River and this memorial so that all the peoples of the earth may know the power of God. And very soon, battle number one, that walled city of Jericho was going to soon find out the power and the might of the God of Israel. That with the blast of a trumpet and the shout of the voices, those walls came tumbling down and Israel went in and conquered uh, the city of Jericho. Well, there's a third purpose for uh, this memorial that the Israelites were to set up, not only to tell the future generations the story of the crossing of the Jordan River, not only so that the surrounding nations would know the, the power of God, but number three is that we would learn and be reminded to fear God. The last part of verse 24, God did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Purpose number three is to be reminded of the fear and reverence and awe that we need to have of who God is. The Hebrew word is yare. It means reverential awe. The conclusion of the uh, Solomon's journey and journey into what is the purpose and meaning of life. And uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is this autobiographical search for true meaning and purpose for life under the sun. Here's how Solomon concludes his, his chapter and uh, entire book. Now all that has been heard, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So Solomon sums up all of our responsibility of life is what Two statements, fear God and obey him. And so God did this miracle and they set up this memorial so that we would learn to have a holy reverence and fear for who God is. The New Testament church had to be reminded of that in that familiar story in Acts chapter 5. And you know that story if you've read your New Testament about Ananias and Sapphira and they wanted to bring a gift and kind of misled the apostles about their financial gift. Remember that story that uh, when they lied to to Peter, and Peter said, you've not lied to me, you've lied to God. And what happened to both Ananias and Sapphira separately? God struck them dead. And said a whole uh, series of, through the series of events, a reverence and fear of God came across the entire church. Oh, yes, God, God is our friend. God is a God of love. But we also need to always keep that in balance with a holy reverence fear for who God is. And next Sunday, when we look at Joshua chapter 5, when we see that Jesus appears to Joshua in a Christophany as the captain of the Lord's army, God tells Joshua, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And so the third purpose is that we might always be reminded of the fear and reverence of God. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, 
but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to have a holy reverence and fear for God. Well, that memorial was uh, intentionally commanded by God so that uh, the future generations would use it as a teaching tool to declare God's power and God's greatness. Hey, this morning I want to think about um, how can we do this? So Joshua 4 is talking about passing on God's truth to the next generation. And this morning we want to think about four or five ways to make this practical, applying how we can declare God's truth to the next generation. And it's something that we have to be intentional about. And so let's look at five ways as we conclude this this morning of how we can put into practice declaring and passing God's truth on to the next generation. Here's the first one, and it's really from Deuteronomy chapter 6. In fact, several of these are from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first thought in truth is this. We cannot pass on what we do not possess. We cannot pass on what we do not possess. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very important passage in the Old Testament that's called the Shema. It was something that the Jews would recite on a daily basis. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then it goes on to say, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Verse 5, These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is where this whole process starts. Deuteronomy 6 is saying, We cannot pass on to other people, the next generation, what is not in our hearts, if it's not in our life. And so the Shema says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The, these commands are to be in your life. And then it says, impress them on your children. We can't do that unless we have them in our life. And so the first truth is this. We cannot pass on what we do not possess. Secondly, how can we do this? We need to tell our children, our grandchildren, the great stories of the Bible. We need to tell the next generation the great stories of the Bible. All through Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, we see this command to tell, tell what happened here. And so it's found in the Joshua chapter um, 4, verses 6 and 7, and Joshua later on in the book, and in, in Psalm 78, tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of God. Psalm 145, verses 4 through 6, the psalmist writes the same truths. Psalm 145, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. And so here's uh, uh, point number two, application point. We need to tell our children and grandchildren the great stories of the Bible. And, you know, I, I found that the kids love stories. Jesus was a storyteller, and it's one of the ways that he 
taught in the New Testament, he taught through parables, he taught through stories. And um, most of the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament is, is found in story form. And we need to pass those stories on to the next generation. Number three, we need to tell our children and grandchildren of God's faithfulness in our own lives. We need to tell the next generation, our children and grandchildren, not only the great stories of the Bible, the crossing of the Jordan River, the the crossing of God's miracle, the Red Sea, uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 in the New Testament, but we also need to tell them of God's faithfulness in our lives. Our stories of God's faithfulness. That the theme of God's faithfulness is all through the scripture. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 7 talks about God's faithfulness. Uh, All through the New Testament, uh, stories of God's faithfulness. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, Jesus riding on that white horse is called faithful and true. And so I hope you have some stories in your life. I hope you have a a wealth of stories as you look back on your life of how God has been faithful to you. And we need to pass that on. To the next generation. The stories of God's faithfulness in our own life. Number four, how can we do this? And this brings us right back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema. We need to make God a part of our everyday conversation. We need to make God. We need to make the stories of the Bible, and and who God is, a part of our everyday conversation. So back to the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. After the instructions are, these commands need to be in your heart. It goes on to say in verse 7, impress them on your children. (laughs) Make make this a point to, to, to pass this on to your children and your grandchildren. And then it tells us how to do it. Let's read through the the text here. I'll read it for you. Verse 7. There's four teachable moments here we want to catch. Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talking about God's truth. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road. When you lie down. And when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now the Jews took that literally. And they would wear phylacteries, which is a leather box with scripture on their forearm. They would put scriptures on the doorposts of their home. If you've ever uh, maybe seen that in in a Jewish home, right outside the doorpost. There will be a little box with scripture in it because... They're following Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, literally. But here, Deuteronomy is talking about the teachable moments. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them, God's truth, when you sit at home. When do we sit at home? Well, not so much anymore, but when I was growing up, it was dinner time. That's, that's when the family gathered together. 
and uh, we pretty much had dinner together most, most every night, and it was a time to connect as a family and to have dinner together and to bring God into the conversation. And so talk about God's truth when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. Well, uh, we don't normally walk places today, although sometimes we do for exercise, but this is when you're traveling. So talk about God when you sit at home dinner time. Talk about God when you walk along the road or you're traveling in the car. That's a, that's a, a, a teachable moment and an opportunity to, to engage in conversation with your kids. Years ago, we were living in Chelsea and... Um, our pattern of educating our kids is that uh, we had them in uh, public schools through about sixth grade, and then we transitioned somewhere between sixth and seventh grade, our boys, to Lenaway Christian School in Adrian. And uh, they finished up their school career at Lenaway Christian School. Um, and th- that came with a little bit of a sacrifice because it was a 45-minute uh, drive one way that uh, my wife would uh, take them down in the morning and um, then... Uh, pick them up in the afternoon. She did remember to pick them up most of the time, so that's good. But I remember, uh, you know, one time I was at the school and a fellow by the name of uh, Mr. Howard was the middle school principal and I was just kind of, uh, uh, I was going to say complaining, but I call it lamenting because lamentations is in the Bible and it's biblical. I was lamenting like, oh man, it was so much gas money and, you know, it's such a long distance and and Mr. Howard says, well, you know what? You just need to look at that in a positive light. That you have in the morning and in the afternoon 45 minutes of time, one-on-one time with your kids in the car. And use that time to connect with them. Well, it didn't work out so well in the morning because they were mostly sleeping, I guess, on the way there. Like Diane did 95% of the driving. But in the afternoon, it became a time to engage with them and to talk with them. We need to make God a part of our everyday conversations. When you lie down, or when you sit at home, rather, when you walk along the road, traveling in the car, the the next teachable moment is when you lie down, the text goes on to say. Talk about them when you sit at home, walk along the road, when you lie down at night. Those of you that have kids and have raised kids know that bedtime can be a special moment. Sometimes it was very special in our house. We called it popcorn because trying to put three young kids to bed and they always wanted something to drink or I need this or I need that. But, but there is a teachable moment at bedtime. There's that, that moment uh, that you can connect with them and, and pray with them and bring God into the conversation. And so talk about God's truth when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and then lastly, when you get up. Uh, first thing in the morning. We need to make God a part of our everyday conversations. Lastly, fifth way that uh, we need to pass on God's truth to the next generation and be intentional about it, truth number five, we need to make the observance of the Lord's table a priority in our life. We need to make the observance of of the Lord's table, a priority in our life. 
front of our auditorium's a communion table and carved in the front are the words, this do in remembrance of me. It's the words of Jesus. And uh, Jesus gave to the New Testament church, to you and to me, a memorial. Something that we were to do on a regular basis. Why? So we could remember the great works that God has done in sending his son Jesus to be our savior and to be our redeemer. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and, and Jesus, uh, the, that, that night before he was um, <clears throat> going to be betrayed and taken to the cross, he's with the disciples there in the upper room, and he gives them the instructions. And he, they take the bread, and they, he says, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Then they take the cup. It was really the third cup of the Passover meal. And Jesus puts a new meaning in that third Passover cup. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Those words are not just something that uh, Jesus says, uh, if you get around to it or, uh, you know, if you have time, if it fits into your schedule. No, this is an imperative. This is a command that God has given to us. This do in remembrance of me. Now, the scriptures doesn't tell us how uh, frequently we are to observe the Lord's table. And so many churches have very uh, different ways of doing this and timing of doing this. Some churches observe the communion table every Sunday. Uh, some churches do it quarterly. Some churches observe the Lord's table on a monthly basis. Our tradition is to do it every other month. Jesus didn't tell us how frequently to do it. He just says, I want you to partake of this, uh, the bread and the cup, as a way of reminding ourselves of how much God loved us. And that great, the greatest event in human history is Jesus going to the cross and paying for your sin debt and mine. Greater love, Valentine's Day tomorrow, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And the observance of the Lord's table should be a priority. It also is a great teaching tool that when we uh, come together as a church body and uh, if you're sitting together with your kids, and I remember doing this in, uh, growing up in church, my dad um, pastor, so I've been in church since I was two weeks old every Sunday, and as a young child, I'm sitting there, and it's communion time, and I'm watching everybody, and I'll take a cup and take a cracker, and I'm, I'm really curious, like, number one, uh, how come I can't have some at like four or five years old? And um, my mom took that as an opportunity to explain, um, this is what this symbolizes. And once you understand the meaning of it, and and uh, know what, what this is all about, then you too can partake of this as a way of remembering what Christ has done for us. Well, the memorial in Gilgal is, is a memorial so that all future generations would know what God has done. And we need to make sure that we're very intentional as we have the opportunity to pass God's truth to the next generation. We can't pass on what we don't possess. But we uh, need to take those great stories of the Bible and pass them on to, to our kids and our grandkids. We need to tell our kids about God's faithfulness in our life. We need to make God a part of our everyday conversation. 
And we need to realize the significance of the Lord's table and make that a high priority as a church and as a church family. I trust that God will give you the grace, the strength, the wisdom to pass on God's truth to the next generation. It's exciting to have opportunities to tell kids what God has done and how God great God is. And God's given you the privilege to do that. Let's, let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for this great story from Joshua chapter 4. Lord, may it remind us of the importance of, of memorials and of taking opportunities to declare to the generations to come the greatness of our God so that we would never forget your mighty hand and your power Lord, so that we would always reverence and fear you. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one here to consider and think how we can intentionally pass on God's truth to the next generation. And Lord, certainly the, the church is designed to help in that process, but as we read scripture, it's, it really lays at the doorstep of the home. And Lord, help us to partner together to declare for generations to come your great power and your great faithfulness. And we will give you the praise. We'll give you the thanks. In the name of Almighty God, our Savior, Jesus. Amen.